Today, I'm excited to bring you guys a conversation with none other than Dr. Tim Mackey. He has his PhD in Hebrew. He's a professor at Western Seminary, where I attended, and he is also the co-creator of probably the best Bible resource in existence. It is the Bible Project. I hope you guys are really blessed and encouraged by this conversation. Welcome, Tim, to Church in the Wild. Hey, Seth. It's good to be here. It's, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, in your hometown here in Portland. Yeah, and yeah, this was so, you came to my office, literally. I did come to your <laughs> office. Yeah, I'm up here for school this week. Yes. It's one of the few weeks I've had up in Portland in school. I'm actually not in class with you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, we've had a lot of class time together. I think, you know, this is going to sound like a total stalker fanboy or whatever. <laughs> I think I've taken all your classes. I think you might have. I think I have. <laughs> Hebrew, text and canon. Yes. Prophets and Gospels. Wow. Pentateuch. Wow. Ezekiel. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay, well. And Genesis this summer. And Genesis this summer. Is there anything I'm missing? Um, Not yet. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's Sweet. good. Yeah, that's great. You're yeah. awesome. Well, today is kind of a special day. Today marks four years for you guys here at mm. the Bible Project. Or this week. Yeah. Or this week yeah, does. Yeah, over just a few days ago, yeah. the Bible Project turned four years old. Yeah, four yeah. years. What does that mean to you that this thing's been going now for four years? Well, what it means to me is it's actually been going for five and a half, but... <laughs> right. Our birthday. Right. When the first video was posted. We had debates or, about, yeah. yeah. So we, the Bio Project launched as a YouTube channel, ah. yeah, four years ago this week. You know you only really matter or exist in the universe <laughs> once it's a YouTube channel. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's totally. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And John and I had been working a little over a year on the first two videos that we released on that birthday. Um, for about a year yeah, before that. So yeah, what an amazing journey. It's been an incredible, incredible journey. Would you have ever foreseen you'd be four years in at this point? And I mean, you guys are still white hot, still cooking. I mean, it's not like yeah. you feel like you're running out of steam. Or no, anything. no, no, uh, no, I had no idea. I, we really, it was just a side project that we thought wouldn't it be cool if we could make cool videos <laughs> <laughs> that are beautiful about biblical theology. And that's what we get to do now yeah. uh, with full time. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't imagine that we would be able to grow a full size animation studio that could release a couple of videos a month. That was never in my mind. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, but it's incredible. It's the, it's the most fun thing I've ever done. Yeah. If you were to describe like what I guess a dream kind of scenario would be for you in terms of <laughs> vocation, I mean, this seems like it'd be pretty close. Yeah, yeah. I um, my own journey, which I, I know you wanted me to kind of tell the story a little bit, but I have from the first time anyone gave me any input or affirmation of my own calling into pastoral ministry mm -hmm. of any kind, I've always been really vocationally confused because <laughs> uh, I've always been more of a nerd than most of my other friends in local church ministry. But you wear that label proudly, I can tell. Uh, yeah, totally, happily, yeah. <laughs> happily a nerd. Um, and, but at the same time, I really wasn't interested in the career culture of academia. Yeah. And so I remember I having that conversation with you over lunch. Yes. After, during one of our classes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's been two decades, half my life now. I've yeah. been trying to figure this out. And then I've really come to peace just with I don't need to figure it out. I just need to be faithful in the thing that's in front of me. And so for many years, that was local church ministry. And, yeah. and now it's this. Yeah. And it's great. 
Yeah. I'm doing the same thing that I did. I preach less, but I, instead I just write now. So yeah. for videos. Yeah. Okay, Tim. So we got to go back a little bit because we do have to get a little bit of context yes, on it, you. Sure. I mean, you're a bit of an eclectic guy yeah. and uh, you don't fit a whole lot of molds. Um, but where did the faith journey all begin for you? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Portland, Oregon, and my parents follow Jesus and passionately even. Mm. Um, they uh, became followers of Jesus in the charismatic version of the Jesus movement that mm. moved up the okay. West Coast sure. yeah. in the 70s. And <clears throat> so super informal, very expressive um, meeting in homes, you know, that kind of thing oh, when yeah. I was a little kid. And then for my elementary on years, our family attended a, a Foursquare church. Okay. Actually, um, this one. Was it this one? Yes. Portland Foursquare. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's the building we're actually <laughs> the in now. The building that we're in now. Yeah, so, right. yeah, it's a lot of poetry for <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> how the Bible Project ended up on this property. Yeah. Um, so, but for some reason, and, and I, it totally coincides with getting my first skateboard at 11 years old, for sure. Okay. Um, was I just. I don't know. I just didn't like it. I didn't like going to church mm -hmm. and I didn't understand or like just the Jesus thing very much. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I just never connected with it as a kid. And then once I got my first skateboard, it was just end of the story. I really? just, yeah, full immersion in, in skateboard culture. And the whole ethos of that is stick it to the man. You know? Totally. <laughs> and so Jesus was the man. Because uh, mm. represented by my parents and these institutions, church and so on. So um, I fought back pretty hard, in, you know, in terms of early teenage rebellion. And then my parents finally picked their battles and, and quit forcing me to go to church, yeah. except on like holidays with them. Okay. So I was on my own spiritually declared independence, you know, at like 13 years old. And, and then... Um, it was through a local outreach ministry to skateboarders here in Portland. It was mm. basically a skate park yep. sponsored by a church. Yeah. Skate church. Skate church. Yeah. That's what it's called. Yeah. So it's an independent nonprofit ministry, but it's uh, on the, on the, in the back lot of a church here in Portland. It's been going for 30 years. Still going. Yes. I didn't know it was still going. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It almost, like real time, almost had to shut its doors, but some amazing things happened recently and wow. they're able to keep going. So... Um, and, and so that was other skateboarders on staff running a skate park. They were amazing skateboarders. Every night someone shuts the park down for a bit to give a Jesus talk that you have to sit through to skate yep. there. And yeah, you know, Jesus, he's um, beautiful. He's amazing. And so it was real simple. They would just tell a story about Jesus and one of his teachings or they would um, mostly it was like j from the Gospels, mm -hmm. stories about Jesus mm -hmm. or his teachings. And so just years, I just went for years to this park and it was just Jesus explained to me in language I understood from people I respected, uh, their skateboarding skills. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, and so um, when I was almost 20, I was out of high school and uh, I just was, became totally compelled by Jesus and forced, had a pretty radical then life turnaround conversion At 20. experience. Mm -hmm. I was, all, yeah, I was about to turn 20. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, then I had a, a number of friends. We all 
started following Jesus through that ministry at the same time. And okay. we How long had you been going or a part of that? Uh, I, I think I started I, going when I was 16. Okay. So I've yeah. been, yeah, I've been going to the skate park weekly for f- almost four years. Wow. Three and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It was awesome. Amazing. And an amazing community of people around it. Um, and it was the 90s. So, you know. Lots of acoustic guitar <laughs> hacking. <laughs> hacky sack. And, um, nice. and, uh, oh, hacky sack or hacking? Oh, guitar hacking. Oh, guitar No, hacking. but there were a couple That's of hacky sackers. Okay. Um, early Birkenstock era. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but man, this community really valued the Bible mm-hmm. and Jesus' teachings and memorizing scripture, reading the Bible, talking about it. This was just, this is normal. It was normal. This yeah. is just, and so, um, there was uh, a, a really significant Christian college across the street from the skate park called Multnomah Bible College yeah. at the time. And uh, so I signed up for classes with some friends there. I didn't have any aspirations. Were you going to college at no, the time? No, so I, you, so you I didn't have any aspirations. Graduated high school. No, I, was, I was living in my parents' basement working at the spaghetti <laughs> factory, smoking pot and skateboarding. <laughs> I mean, I barely graduated <laughs> high school. <laughs> um, I'm not laughing at you. No, I know you're not. Uh, it astounds me. It's not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there you go. Uh, so, I, I, and I think what it was, what I've learned about my temperament is that yeah. it's almost impossible for me to commit to anything that I am not yeah. passionate about. Right. If I'm not passionate, I don't care. And I've had to work on that because you have to just do things in life True. that you're not passionate about. But that's just a part of how I'm wired. Turns out my dad is wired the same way I've discovered. And so, um, I, yeah, I, it was uh, once Jesus and learning yeah. and reading and history and language and culture. It was all like, oh, my gosh, what have I been doing with the first 20 years of my life? And so I just... Look, can I, can I ask about what... Yeah. So you got Jesus in the picture mm-hmm. and <clears throat> what part of you know, the Bible college or learning, mm-hmm. what part of that really lit you up? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. Um, it was a, it was the teachers who introduced me to um, the Bible, not as a system. Yeah. I actually wasn't very into my systematic theology classes. Sure. Uh, but it was um, the teachers that introduced me to the Bible as a work of beautiful, divine and human, sophisticated Jewish literature. Um, that c- that communicates through literary art, mm. and so my so dad the history, the yes, literature, history, the language, language, art, liter- yeah. yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. And um, and I think it's my, you know my mom was a singer, and my dad's a graphic designer and a, and a painter, and so even though I'm not a very I'm good drawer mm-hmm. or anything like that, um, I I think that from a young age gave me an aesthetic intuition just from being around so much art yeah. and music growing right. up. And so that I just connected with the Bible as a work of literary genius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, and, and then it just became this huge detective adventure of like, Oh my gosh, this thing's amazing. And there's so many mysteries and rabbit holes and puzzles to solve. And, and it, it, it makes sense, but it, there's ever deeper layers of significance and meaning and then you attach that to 2,000 years of Christian history preceded by 2,000 years of right. Jewish history. Right. And it's a lifetime's yeah, worth it's of, a deep of learning. Um, so, yeah, um, so yeah, I signed up, signed up for Greek and Hebrew, 
Um, and then eventually I, I decided I wanted to take my education the full... Go all the way. Yeah, the full Monty to just, uh, get a PhD. So there's the Jewish Studies Department at the University of Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Madison. My Hebrew teacher at Multnomah went there. Okay. That was all the right. connection. So that was a connection. That was a connection. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and, and then I had some friends, some of my friends who became, actually, there were four, four of us. This is the crazy thing I remember. Well, I've told you this before. Yeah. Yeah, it was four of us. We became Christians. At this ministry, skate four, church. Four guys getting reached through skate church. Yep. We all went to Multnomah, learned Greek and Hebrew together, and then we all have gone on to get PhDs in, in Hebrew Bible. That's crazy. <laughs> there was something in the water, man. man. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so the three of them are full-time professors now, and um, I'm the odd, odd one out, and then whatever, a part-time professor. I but don't you know. have a YouTube channel. But I have a YouTube channel. <laughs> so... Um, so, yeah, so I, I shipped off, uh, I went to Multnomah, and then I went to seminary. Okay. And because I wanted to at least have a, a more broad pastoral kind of foundation, yeah. theologically and pastorally. And then, yeah, I went to Wisconsin. And then seven years, a seven year program. One, oh, my one, goodness. One year in Jerusalem and six years in, in Madison. It was incredible. It was so cool. And it was, it's not a theological department, it's a, history, language, right. Jewish studies. So, and it, it, it was a really wide spectrum of Jewish and Christian students and faculty. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was just, it was wonderful. It was challenging. Hmm. Couldn't take anything for granted. I had to be really strategic about how much of my own faith commitments, you know, I um, would share or talk about with, mm-hmm. my, with my teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I was one in particular who he he just kind of had an axe to grind. Really? Uh, yeah, against cons- students with a conservative theological commitment. I don't know. So I had to, I had to be careful with him. Interesting. But anyway, uh, it was good for me. It was really good. I, I'm really grateful for the chance to um, have to do thought experiments. Yeah. Where many of my papers and projects were ended up being thought experiments. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah. If I didn't believe that the Holy Spirit inspired these, here's how I would approach this text and make sense of how it works and so on. And that's what I would write the paper at, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, seminaries have kind of donned the nickname of cemeteries, yeah. right? Like that for a lot yeah. of people that when they come in and they dive into the theology, they kind of see some of the... Beh- Behind the scenes, mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that in a, as if there's a whole lot that's hidden. I mean, I think you're yeah. one of the guys who's doing a great job of yeah. anything you want to know is in plain sight. You know, yeah. Whatever yeah. conspiracies you think they are being yeah. blared at you through loudspeakers if, if you're reading your Bibles, you know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people come in, I think, with assumptions about mm-hmm. theology and about mm-hmm. the Bible and come into environments that are more academically oriented and find themselves really disoriented, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in terms of their personal faith. Mm-hmm. Was that ever something that happened for you, mm. you know, along that journey, especially going mm. to, you know, University of Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. It's not like you're at a conservative theological seminary yeah. that's trying to help you form your faith. Yeah. If anything, they probably would prefer to deconstruct it, you know? Yeah. So was that was that ever yeah. hard for you? Um, I mean, it, it was it was just challenging intellectually. Um, and I, yeah, personally, uh, just grad school is not a sustainable way of life. <laughs> <laughs> so I suffered personally in that way, <laughs> reading for seven years yeah. and doing nothing else. But um, I, yeah, I, I never experienced it negatively. I just experienced it as growth. Mm. And growth, by definition, means seasons of disorientation. The way yeah. 
that this thing made sense to me in the past, now in light of these things that I've learned, doesn't make sense to me in the same way anymore. Hmm. I need to take it apart and rebuild it with my same commitments, but now able to encompass more of the data. Yeah. Really. And so um, that's a, it, it's a, it's a key part <laughs> of the fact that Jewish and Christian Orthodox traditions believe that in incarnational, that, that the God we believe in, that we confess, that he reaches out and communicates us to us through people and events in history. Yeah. Um, which mean uh, that the, the whole history of what we believe is there in public view to be poked at and examined and prodded. Yeah. And it ought to be. Yeah. And it has been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thoroughly. And that's okay. That's, that's safe public territory. But it means that um, I'm always going to be growing in a deeper understanding of what I believe and why, especially about the Bible. And it's going to involve learnt history and culture and yeah. language. And um, so it was mostly that. It was more just moving from more simplistic views about the Bible mm. and, and my beliefs and uh, just deepening. But I never experienced it as negative. Yeah. It was just just growth. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I have, little, I have little boys and yeah. they're beginning to experience like the pains in their bodies that yeah, come sure. from growing. Yeah. And it was that kind of negative experience, I guess, I had intellectually, yeah. if you want to call that negative. But it's, sure. I think it's just growth. Can you articulate, you say, hold it, still holding on to the core convictions while yeah. still being challenged to, to grow deeper in your understandings. Yeah. Um, yeah, do you know, do you have a sense of what those real core convictions were that you're, um, you were holding on to? Yeah, I, and we've talked about one uh, before, um, just my view of what the Bible is. Okay, and so how inspiration. It, and how and it came into existence. Yeah. And so some, yes, yeah, the classic words in the Christian tradition are about inspiration. Um, and <laughs> that's actually not Christian vocabulary, it's Jewish vocabulary. Mm, mm -hmm. It's from the, the spirit, <laughs> right? The divine wind sure. and breath. Um that energized and worked in and through um, humans uh, in history and also to produce these texts. And so, yeah, um, uh, you've heard me say my line from it now is what was given to me even from my first days in, in the skate ministry because whatever, it's, it, it wasn't grad school. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, I can see now it was a very simplistic, like a golden tablet falling from heaven right. view of divine revelation. Right. And... To discover, to read the Bible so thoroughly and realize that isn't the kind of claim the Bible makes about itself. Right. And that's certainly not what the historical record shows about um, how the Bible came into existence. But there's and human personality and human experience and tradition yes, and culture yeah. being woven into. Yes. So it's a, yeah. it's a the, product the, of God and man together humans somehow. And human culture and language are the medium through which yes, right. the divine speaks. It's not in spite of it, but actually through it. That's right. Yeah. It's precisely in and through it. Um, which, it turns out, you go back to page one, and the image, whatever the image of God means, it yeah. means a lot of things. It's it a very rich yes. concept. But that's one of them. Yes. <laughs> That God's will and rule is carried out in the world through his human image bearers. That's fundamental to a Jewish and Christian worldview. So that's a good example where I experienced the taking apart of that golden tablets falling from heaven view of the Bible more as just kind of confusion. Like, oh, and it was true confusion when I learned about the Dead Sea Scrolls. 
Oh, yeah. And then I just started reading as much as I could. And it's complex, man. And w- what the scrolls, op- they open up to us a window of the Bible's manuscript history that's mm-hmm. extremely complex. Mm. It's complex because of and differences in the manuscripts, and not just little ones, mm-hmm. like significant ones, large-scale ones. Mm-hmm. And that's just, I didn't know how to put that together. Yeah. And so it launched me on a big, one of my main themes in my own research has been about the history of the text formation and canon formation of the Bible. Right. And I'm at peace now. Like, I'm finally at peace. Yeah. <laughs> but I had to uh, f- figure out um, what inspiration means to incorporate all of this data. Yeah. Um, and it, it turns out there's adequate resources in the Orthodox Christian tradition to, turns make, out. to make sense of all of that. Yeah. But um, it wasn't presented to me in very many easy to find places. Yeah. So, yeah, that was, that's one example. It's yeah. Inspiration and in the origins of the Bible. Itself. Yeah. That's really huge. I've, you know, I, I lead a church that's so, has a lot of college students in it, mm-hmm. you know, by Oregon State University. Um, and it was actually inspired by, I can just give you some blame here, mm-hmm. uh, by um, when I took your Prophets and Gospels class. Mm. And we were going through, I think, a discussion on the, the book of Jonah, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and you were just kind of leading us through some of the literary dimensions of it and mm-hmm. then the perspectives on it in terms of whether this is presenting a historical mm-hmm. narrative about a person or whether it's more of a parable or whether it's, mm-hmm. uh, and you kind of present it as a, this almost comic book, you know, mm-hmm. presentation, you know, and, and mm-hmm. all the different elements of mm-hmm. the patterns of repetition, the characters, like even the boat, like mm-hmm. is thinking to itself, shall yeah. I break up? I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, and so then the, the idea, of course, becomes comes back always to the to the fish, you know, yeah. you know. And so could a guy get swallowed by fish was what, yeah. I, you know. Yeah. And so I actually took this to our church and mm. I and I really was convicted that I needed mm. to do this mm. to teach on the book of Jonah mm. um, and to present as like this tension of mm. was an mm. actual man swallowed for three days mm. or was this was this more of a parable told mm. in some mm-hmm. kind of hyperbolic sort of fashion to get your attention and convey mm-hmm. a certain message mm-hmm. um, and i presented you know like the points for and mm-hmm. against and how whatever your stance on that issue is mm-hmm. it doesn't contradict the inspiration mm-hmm. or the power or the yeah, intent right. from yeah. a conservative orthodox historical spectrum, even very yeah. conservative orthodox scholars might land on either side of this yeah, equation. Right. In fact, um, one, it was a, a evangelical Old Testament scholar, Doug Stewart, his commentary on the book of Jonah was actually one of the most helpful introductions to many of the literary stylistic features of yeah. the book. And he has a little essay at the front and he's like, yeah, I think he was a real person. Yeah. I think he got swallowed by a fish. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like, but the book of Jonah yeah. as a work of literary communication. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Is um, trying to teach us something profoundly theological. Yes, that's right. Through the artistic medium of this narrative and poetry. And it, in a way, it's separate from the question of the historical event. Because an historical event can mean all kinds of things. It's true. You know? It's true. And so the author of Jonah wants us to hear that story to learn a very particular set of theological things about God and ourselves and the world. And so, so it truly is, it's learning that the historical truthfulness question isn't always the most important question to be asking. I keep trying to find new metaphors and <laughs> illustrations <laughs> to talk about it. Right now I'm, I keep, I'm stuck on the, um, that we, uh, one assumption that we often come to the Bible with, especially 
uh, narrative in the Bible is that we're watching, essentially watching video camera footage. Yeah. Just captured through ancient Hebrew. Right. Um, as opposed to um, looking at something um, like, oh, uh, yeah, video camera footage or a Hubble Space tele, tele, uh, Telescope photo of a star where what you, it's video camera or photo footage. But if you um, uh, get like a Vincent van Gogh starry night in mm -hmm. front of you mm -hmm. and look at that depiction of the night sky. Mm -hmm. So both are depicting something that real is real. It's real, yeah. <laughs> it's the night sky. Right. right. Um, but van Gogh wants us to not just know that the night sky exists, he wants us to walk away with the meaning yes. of the night sky yeah. and carry that with us. And, not, and it seems to me that that's the agenda of the biblical authors. Well, that's really great. Is to pull on these memories from their, uh, their past, their, right? The past of their people yeah. and to shape them into these narratives that are meant to not just tell us that something happened, but to help us understand the meaning of what happened. Yeah. And the way they do that is through art. Yeah. It's through artistic narrative and poetry. And to me, that's so exciting. That is exciting. Um, uh, b but it's a paradigm shift. Yeah. That, and you don't, you don't really disorienting. Yeah. Because you assume you lose authority with that. Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's right. Peop so the assumption, the deep love assumption is um, biblical authority is equated with a view of how the, what the Bible is trying to communicate, mm -hmm. namely that it's, merely trying to offer me video camera footage. Yeah. Um, and I, so, yeah, there you go. And I think it's trying to do more. Yeah. It's not trying to do less. Not it's trying. trying to do more. That's right. Um, these days, uh, the other thing uh, that's just an easy go-to is just to simply appeal to how the apostles read their Bible. Hmm. And um, they don't read their their Bible, which we call the Old Testament, right? Uh, but they just simply don't read it with the same questions or interests that modern. They don't, do they? They don't. They have other. They believe that it's up for other things. If you were to sit down <laughs> with, yeah. with a modern religious or non-religious person and yeah. ask, "What do you think Christians think the Bible's for?" Um, but Paul's first, right? Paul, what he says to Timothy in his letter to Timothy, it, the scriptures are to are wisdom literature. Mm. They give you wisdom <laughs> uh, unto faith mm -hmm. in Jesus the Messiah, leading to salvation, and uh, it and then all right, and then it teaches and reshapes you and challenges you to make you into yeah. new kinds of humans. Challenge, correct, rebuke, teach. All yeah, it's know. wisdom literature mm -hmm. that leads you to the Messiah to make you into a new kind of human, um, and that's a very different. That's how Paul. And then you watch him quote from the Old Testament, and that's he's he believes it's divine instruction. Yeah, and. Anyhow, so uh, that's another place I found that's helpful to go to um, to show how the apostles read their Bible, which is paying attention to narrative patterning and literary patterning yeah. and, and theological themes. So, yeah, yeah, anyway. so fun. Yeah, so good. so fun. It's good stuff. I want to get back a little bit to uh, your journey. Now, oh, when you were in yes. when you were in Wisconsin, you yeah. were actually serving at a local church there. Yes. Um, so I guess at what point? I mean, you were scratching a couple different itches there. I mean, you were yeah. getting the academic piece and going for the PhD and all this learning, but then you were actually mm -hmm. teaching and preaching yeah. as as part of a yeah, uh, not, a not pretty the, big church there. Not the whole time. I. I was just attending this church. My wife actually worked there. Oh, did she? Yeah, she. No um, kidding. Yeah, she. She uh, was started on as office manager, but she's so capable and awesome. 
it's the queen of the world. <laughs> and so uh, she eventually um, uh, always was behind in behind the scenes in administrative leadership and okay. so on. Um, so I was known as Jessica's husband for many years <laughs> around around the church. Um, but as I had margin, as the years went by, I was able to start teaching classes. And it was a university-focused church, so it was mostly grad students and, sure. fa and faculty. Yeah, so you so, Yeah, so I taught these classes. Did you, it, did you have much of a... I don't, I don't know. Was that it? Was that in you the desire to to teach or to be to serve oh, yeah. within the church context? Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. When I was here in Portland, um, within the skate church ministry, there was a weekly Bible study about a, about of a hundred or so that of kind of people around the ministry, and I started teaching at that. That's where I discovered my own passion for teaching and Bible oh, teaching yeah. was yeah. with that crew. I never wore Birkenstocks. And I never did hacky sack, but I, <laughs> I did learn how to hack on an acoustic guitar. There you go. <laughs> so anyway, so I uh, started te teaching classes. Um, the one of the lead pastors um, w w really wanted to resurrect his Hebrew, and um, he knew about Jessica's husband, <laughs> and so he asked me to start tutoring him Hebrew again. And we just struck up a friendship, and then he invited me to preach on a Sunday and. That just kind of evolved into a job over the years as I was in my dissertation, like research writing phase. And that coincided with uh, I was doing student teaching at the university. Okay. Because they try and sure, yeah, get you everybody got, got to do that. Get some work and out I of didn't like there, it. Yeah. I didn't like it. Oh, you really? know, I'm teaching introduction to Judaism to 300 freshmen, and they could care less, you know. And I'm spending the whole first half of the class mm. talking about like, covenant theology of the Hebrew Bible and it's so cool it's like for me it's the coolest stuff in the world mm -hmm. and I have to be diplomatic yeah about how I talk about things yeah. and I can't but they're just gonna fill their back core and they, yeah. they could care less <laughs> like just kids making out in the back <laughs> and I was just like this isn't this is like this isn't this isn't the right place for me to do what I love so that was important I'm most of the way through a PhD Realizing I don't think I want to be a professor, ah. <laughs> at least not in a university environment. And but that was at the same time the opportunities were becoming available through our church, and it just kind of was a clean, mm. smooth, smooth transition. And so that led into a seven-year ministry, seven-year season, three at that church, and then uh, almost five at a, a church here in Portland. Yeah, just local church pastoral teaching ministry. Awesome, it was a great season. Do you see yourself ever doing that again? I don't know. I, as I look back, um, I was extremely stressed mm. out. Um, and it was because I, I can now see I, I'm a hyper introvert. And so my job was, big part of that job is to be available to people. Mm. <laughs> and uh, Mistake I, number one, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> and so there you go. I just, I can now look back. I met so many amazing people. I grew so much, but I wouldn't want to go back to being a, in a high people contact job again. Mm -hmm. Um, I just, I carry people's stories and pain and worries and concerns t too close. I can't separate myself. And so I lose sleep at night because of other people's problems. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, uh, that was my journey in, in local church ministry. So, but who knows? Never say never. I don't know what will happen. But I'm very much enjoying a, sh a shift where I get to read and study a lot yeah. and work with a small group on projects. It's really, a, so I'm, I've never done anything like this and it's a good rhythm. Yeah.
What are what are some of the origins for you um, about how the, the Bible project got started? Mm-hmm. I mean, so what yeah. what seed gets plants in your brain to say, yeah. you know, you know what the internet needs? <laughs> yeah, totally. Well, I think just as a communicator, because of Skate Church, I've always really highly valued clear communication uh, yeah. where you really make an effort to get into your listeners way of seeing the world so you can communicate in a way that makes sense to them. And so that's just a value for me as a follower of Jesus because that's how I, that's how Jesus became compelling to me. Mm-hmm. So um, I worked really hard at trying to understand commu- communication once I was in local church ministry and just improving as a communicator. Um, and so what one year we did for the church was challenge the whole church to read through the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, I recorded these one-take, five-minute videos yep. on every book Eat of the Bible, Bible, just draw on a whiteboard, yep. drawing it geometrically, just explaining. So really simple, mm-hmm. um, but fun. I enjoyed it. And then... They're still up there, I think. They still exist in they the world. <laughs> <laughs> they're on the internet. So you wish they did. Yeah, ne- no, that's fine. They're great. No, they're great. They're really great. Called the Bible in five. It's kind of like looking back in history at the beta version. Yes, of, you know, totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the Bible in five. I think eat this book. Why am I thinking oh, that? Oh, eat this book was what we called the year ah. of reading. Yeah, of uh, the church and then the video resources that that we made. Yeah, we're just called the Bible in Five. Gotcha. So when I went back to Portland, those videos were, I don't know, a year. No, they were just a year old. And uh, my friend John, who I met through that skate ministry in Multnomah, John okay. Collins. Okay, he was at the skate mm-hmm. ministry. He came. Too. Yeah. So yeah, my partner with Bible Project. He lived in Seattle, moved down to Portland to go to college. Okay. And uh, served in the, in the skate ministry. So we were friends in, in college, kind of like acquaintance friends, part of that circle. Um, the ladies that we dated and eventually married were also good friends while okay, we were nice. students. So it's just kind of, so whenever we came back to visit for holidays, um, we'd often just reconnect with them. Mm-hmm. And so when I moved back to Portland, John had just been following things I'd been up to. Um, he had in the mean instead of reading for seven years, um, he's an excellent communicator and an amazing, just a very unique human. He's an explainer. He lives to learn and then explain things. He does that really well. <laughs> he's a, he takes your thoughts, yes. rephrases them. So yeah. what I hear you saying yeah. is blank, and yeah. it, it is. It's clarifying yeah. to hear you guys kind of refine each other's yeah, thoughts. Yeah, that's right. So for years, he built out a small marketing company that made short animated explainer videos for clients. Okay. And um, and the medium was pretty new when he happened upon it. And in, in many ways, he was part of the front edge of mm-hmm. that medium, the short YouTube explainer video. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did, did it mostly in software tech company stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, so when I moved back to Portland, you know, he had a animation studio up and running and a, a, a company. Yeah. It was, and it was... Uh, doing great, uh, but he wanted to work on some other projects that he thought were more interesting. And so he had uh, seen some of the stuff I'd been doing and the videos that I'd made and was like, hey, let's do these videos I make, but about the stuff you teach in the videos you make. It's like, deal. So we just started meeting and talking about, uh, well, actually what I did was I sat down and I thought, oh, dude, here's what would be so useful Mm. as a teacher is if I could have these hundred videos, mm. five minutes long, here's what I would do. 
Um, and so I took that list to him. He was a little surprised that I came back to him with a hundred. Something so specific. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a hundred videos and it was every book of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, it's literary design and main themes in mm -hmm. short little power videos. And then also th themes following core theological themes through the whole biblical story. And he liked the idea. So we picked two. Um, heaven and Earth yep. and uh, Genesis 1 to 11. And we then we spent a, a little over a year making them. And what was great was, you know, he had already honed this medium and he had the people and the resources. So it was just a side project and we had to hustle and kind of raise some side money um, to pay some of the artists. But and so, it, yeah, it just simmered. Um, and then he was the one who researched the whole crowdfunding idea of mm. creating educational content that people will support if they find it helpful. Mm. And so he researched everybody who was doing it at the time. There were a couple pioneers of, of this in the YouTube world. And Crash Course is a YouTube channel that okay. kind of first pushed the envelope on that. They make 10 to 12 minute animated uh, educational videos. Um, so yeah, there you go. So we decided to do a uh, um, through our own website, become a non, start a nonprofit, and just do a old-fashioned like fundraising thermometer on our website. There you go. And uh, we launched the first two videos, and we raised the money for the next video in like forty-eight hours. Yeah. We're like, oh, I guess we need to make the next video. Yeah. So we did, and it just kind of went like that. Just kept going. I remember it used to be just kind of a video at a time. We need X yeah. amount of dollars to do this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But then it eventually obviously multiplied to where you can actually plan out. For yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, years, absolutely. Years I mean, four years, it's both been quick, but also every step we can kind of map. Um, and it, uh, the main priority was just to be able to buy, pay for more artist time. Yeah. To the, and then eventually we had a team that we could cover full time. Then we need to build some infrastructure around yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And then just a... It's only been a, a year. This is we're talking in May 2018. It's only been a year that I've been doing it full time, a little over a year. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been quite quite a ride. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> um, I still don't understand what this means to have. We're on our way to a million YouTube subscribers. Whoa. And I I just I don't I actually don't fathom that, but that's there it is. Apparently, YouTube's going to send us a, some kind of plaque. Yeah, <laughs> for, uh, for for that. So that's that's just been amazing. I don't know a million people. Um, you do but, now, uh, but uh, apparently. <laughs> but, but here's what I love about it: is our, the experience of us as a team. We yeah. just come to work in the morning, and work together, yeah. and just see the core team. And I, that's what's amazing about this medium. Yeah, is that. Um, we're in a, a time where you can create content that can travel the world, but you don't have to. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's pretty remarkable. But let yeah. me push back a little bit. Okay. Just because it's not like content has never been produced before or video content oh, has I never see. been produced before. Sure, sure. Um, so I guess I, it just is really a fascinating question. Mm. Why has this caught mm -hmm. on with such a fever pitch? Mm -hmm. You guys did not do a whole lot of like marketing for it. I mean, yeah. you didn't really go out yeah, and fundraise right. for it like super aggressively. Mm -hmm. But the videos, like you produce the kind of videos that really have caught on. I mean, a million mm -hmm. subscribers, that's that's people, mm -hmm. that's not just people watching, that's people saying, I, yeah. they're benefiting yeah. from this. Yeah. Um, what vein did you tap into, yeah, you know, know, that... Yeah. 
you obviously found a yeah. like a deep chasm of hunger out there yes. yeah, that was not right. being satisfied. Yeah. What do you think that is? Um, yeah, that's how it feels. It feels. It like, really does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Dr drilling and, and. I mean, when I'm watching the videos, I'm like, this seems yeah. like this should have been around. Yeah, yeah. For, that's right. I mean, this should be this should be stuff that's intuitive. Well, but it's but it's just not. Yeah, I, I I think there's multiple factors, and then there's just whatever. Some call it luck. Some call it providence. <laughs> I have no idea. I I think key factors are John's journey with the Bible. Yeah, is very typical of I think a huge huge number of Protestants, especially, mm. um, which is you're told it's important but it makes no sense to you. In, and in fact, when yeah. you actually read the Bible, it causes problems for you. There you go. And so yeah. there's, so this, for him, this is part of that journey of, of um, tr trying to really understand what role the Bible should play in, in the life of a Christian. Um, for me, it's a discovery, beauty, profound, awesome, transcendent work of literary divine human art. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just beautiful. Yeah. And so John is able to help get, and, and what all I'm doing is just reading, just reading. Yeah. Uh, what brilliant people have been saying about the, the Bible for thousands of years. Um, and then translating that to a wide audience. And normally the resources of biblical scholarship have been available through institutions, educational yeah. institutions. Yes and in forums that most people aren't going to understand them. And so it's just the five to ten minute explainer video. <laughs> but in language that people care language about. Language that people care about, yeah. made by someone who cares about communication and somebody who understands and has a life experience with the Bible yes. that many people resonate with. And, and so there you go. And I think, and just there wasn't anything else like it. And, and so there you go. Yeah. Uh, that is, it's an interesting time in history where we live in such like a deconstructive mm -hmm. moment, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there is no like public conscience of, you know, mm -hmm. biblical grounding or biblical literacy or biblical awareness mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. And it is interesting how if you just tell, go read your Bible, you know, yeah. that's not always going to be good news no. in terms of the outcome you're hoping it might produce yeah, that's right. for a lot of people in our culture nowadays. Yes. Um, and so offering up something that doesn't just operate under these grand assumptions that the Bible is good news or yes. that it does contain a, a good message or there is a good God yeah. Yeah. Um, behind it. I, I, I almost feel like there's... Um, hmm. Yeah, it's almost it's almost like tapped into kind of the postmodern angst, you know, <laughs> uh, but still but mm. still with something that's actually rooted mm -hmm. in something that's historical. It's something mm -hmm. that's, you know, mm -hmm. theologically still within yeah, the ballpark. If, if you think about it, historically, people encountered the Bible primarily in the context of living faith communities. That's right. That were reading and learning and singing the Bible. Yes. Um, in in communities, Jewish and Christian. And so um, we're in a, yeah, we're just in a different time. We're, I mean, it's half a, the printing press half a millennium ago, yeah. but we're still feeling the effects of being able of reading the Bible disconnected from a living worship worshiping faith community. Yeah, and the Bible was never didn't come into existence outside of the right the people of Israel. Sure, yeah, and it it came into existence in and through the people um, whose faith it sustained, and so. Uh, it, I g totally agree in the, in the American, in the Western individualist context, telling someone to grab a Bible, go to a coffee shop and read it. 
I actually don't it's think. Roll, it feels like rolling the dice. It's a total <laughs> roll of the dice. Um, and, I, and I think it's becoming more and more uh, likely and common that it's actually the wrong recipe. Um, that if they're going to hit Leviticus and it's yeah, all totally. over. Yeah, totally. No, dude, they're going to hit. They're going uh, to they're going yeah. to see God bless somebody yeah. in one story who goes out and murders someone in the next story. Yes, right. Tell me how to make yeah. s- what this is. You know, yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, page three. There's a talking snake. Tell, so yeah, let's, yeah. There you go. So so um, uh, the the Bible Project is a kind of resource that can be out be out there with somebody in a coffee shop. It's not. It's still not a replacement oh, for a living yeah, sure. community of faith. Um, that's not just reading the Bible, but that's living out the story. Yeah, and because that's a crucial part of reading the Bible is is seeing that I'm being invited into a story and yeah. a way of living in the world. Yeah, and that that life experience is just as important for reading and making sense of the Bible. Yeah, as just understanding its ideas. I almost wonder as well. Like I've, um, I became a Christian when I was 20. I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Hmm. Um, hmm. and it's one of the things that's kind of, um, I've always been grateful for it actually. And, mm-hmm. uh, like mm-hmm. now raising kids and seeing them walk, yes. you know, be in a home with a mommy and daddy that love Jesus and Sunday mm-hmm. school and vacation mm-hmm. Bible school and kind of the regular routine of mm-hmm. Christian church kids or whatever is a really, really interesting thing for me to watch. And I, I know there's so much blessing to that. Um, but I have always mm-hmm. kind of noticed that so many things the church does from an outsider's lens. Like Mm. there's still so many things, even now as a pastor that Mm. there's like the inside club and there's the outside club. Mm. Like I still remember Mm. the first time walking into a church and having Mm. it be the most awkward experience of Mm -hmm. my life. And Mm -hmm. where these people singing in public together? Mm -hmm. This is weird. weird. I don't understand their vocabulary. I don't understand what's going on here. I have no idea what it means for me. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, someone telling me I need to just go read some, like the Bible was not helpful. It really wasn't. I didn't know what I was reading. Um, there was no moral life lesson I could seem to take away from much of it, you know, other than maybe a golden rule. Yeah. Um, but then God smiting someone, then then like, what do you do with that? Yeah, totally. Uh, but I, I almost wonder if, if the Bible project obviously offers clarity for people that aren't coming from a biblical background to, mm. s- to see s- some perspectives on the scriptures mm-hmm. and the literary dimensions of it that can mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. offer up a roadmap as they begin to engage mm-hmm. with it. But I also wonder just for the insiders that mm. it's almost like they're getting like let out. They had a really tight fenced area that they mm. were allowed to play mm. and think in, you mm. know? Mm. And I wonder if like, mm this has just kind of expanded that territory a little mm. bit, mm-hmm. merging some of the, the yeah. literary ideas with the theological yeah. ideas, yeah. you know? Yeah, think about it. In, um, I was going to say Protestant, but actually not just Protestant. I think in most Christian traditions, most people encounter the Bible in worship gatherings, mm-hmm. which means they encounter it in small chunks. <laughs> that if Even if you go through a book of the Bible, say in a series of Sunday gatherings, sure. it's many months that it takes you to go through a whole book in those segments. Right. And so it's extremely rare for there to be any environments. Yeah, there's no 10,000 foot elevation Correct. kind of Correct. big picture view of it. That's right. Yeah. And so um, th- while there's important advantages to, I think really important advantages to scripture playing a role in a worship gathering, um, it's not the only kind of environment where uh, you can encounter scripture. There yeah. are others. And um, there are others that are going to 
actually help you more yeah. uh, with reading and understanding it on a larger level. So most people, but most people don't do that. Yeah. And so most people just aren't even aware. They don't know what they don't know about the Bible, which sure. is why uh, it's so fun to just open open up Pandora's box. What's yeah. that? Pand- that's wrong metaphor. Open up hmm. a treasure box. Yeah, a treasure <laughs> box. A finite yeah. box, not yeah. infinite. Yeah, yeah, totally. A treasure box. Yeah. And just be like, man, you guys, it's been right here under yeah, your nose the whole time. It's better than you think it is. Totally. Yeah, that's It's better totally. than you think it is. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, that's really, really good. Um, awesome. Well, I actually, uh, I have a few questions for you from sure. social media Great. community out there. Cheers. I had a few that they wanted to yeah. throw past you and see, yeah. see what I'll, you thought of. I'll try of. and be concise. <laughs> Or not. I'm not very good at being concise, but. (laughs) Or not. Just do what you can do. Um, Yeah, there's actually some really interesting questions that got thrown out here. So, first of all, a big thank you to everyone that uh, replied on Instagram, Twitter, and whatnot. Um, But here's an interesting one that I know a lot of people Mm. get bogged down with and and Mm. don't quite understand. Mm. um, Is the relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament. How do you Mm. reconcile Mm. those two things? Mm -hmm. Yeah. well, one easy way to say it is it's it's very much like these m- multi-movie trilogies, quadrilogies coming out these days. Um, it's an it's a unified epic narrative, and, and epic I don't just mean amazing or big. Like epic is a real specific term in the history of world literature, which means narratives um, that span long periods of time huge huge cast of characters Mm -hmm. but there is a core set of driving themes that unifies the whole thing um other examples you know ancient examples are like homer's works the iliad or the Mm -hmm. odyssey they're Mm -hmm. multiple books long um modern examples in fantasy are like tolkien lord of the rings or that kind of thing um so the bible presents itself in terms of in its literary form as an epic work there's a narrative arc from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. The first word is in the beginning. Yep. <laughs> and the second to last paragraph is, and they reigned forever and ever mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the new creation. So it's in the beginning to forever and ever. Amen. Um, and it's big cast of characters um, spanning and many different kinds of literary works woven together across it. And so uh, in many ways, that uh, that's it. Like the, the whole driving, what the New Testament is, is it's identifying Jesus of Nazareth as the one in whom all of the plot conflicts and the core themes mm-hmm. reach their climax. Yeah. But, um, uh, yeah, it's hard for me to even imagine what it means to make sense of Jesus apart from the three quarters of the Bible that comes sure. before him because it, it sets up the categories and the tensions and the problems that need solving. Yeah. And then he's presented as the one in, in whom all those things, all those solutions come together. So to me, that's just an easy example. It's like a f- big uh, epic narrative yeah. with many movies. Yeah. <laughs> and trying to just read the New Testament right. apart from the first three quarters of the Bible is literally like watching movie seven. Yes. Of an of a epic that's right. a TV series or movie series. Or yeah, that's like right. That. I would agree with you 100%. I think just to play, um, just play advocate on it, maybe the other side a little mm-hmm. bit is, you know, because a lot of people have this understanding of the God they see in the Old Testament is different, and mm-hmm. like Jesus looks like the liberal son who went off to college and took a you know liberal arts degree, <laughs> smoked a little bit of weed, yeah. said, "Don't worry about my father; he's a little bit cranky, but just <laughs> chill out and you know love one, one another." Kind of, you know, that's that's the really you know over 
overgeneralized yeah. but assumption that mm -hmm. in the Old Testament you you have a very angry, mean, mm -hmm. spiteful, very all the all the laws that are so specific, dietary mm -hmm. restrictive, like so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the New Testament and it seems like, mm -hmm. well, everything's fair game. Just love each other and it's all good. We mm -hmm. we're, we can mm -hmm. eat pork now. Like mm -hmm. that doesn't seem it doesn't know mm -hmm. that there's this congruity between mm -hmm. between mm -hmm. the two. Um yeah, you know, I, yeah, I I don't want to be simplistic, but um, yeah, that that just represents a a under reading, a, sh a shallow reading of of both. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what to say. Uh, you can't read but two or three pages into any of the four gospels about Jesus before you're just inundated with quotations from yeah. the first three He's quarters. He's the fulfillment of the story that's been yeah. built. Yeah, yeah. And I, whatever it means for Jesus to go up onto a mountain and pronounce blessings and then give all of these teachings from the Ten Commandments. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's saying, you've heard it said, and uh, but I say to you. And so he's, he's clearly uh, presenting himself as a new and radical uh, moment. Mm -hmm. um, but he doesn't at all see himself as rejecting what's gone before. He says, I didn't come to set aside the Torah, but to bring it to its fulfillment. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know what to say, except those, those um, perceptions, yeah. I think, arise from people who have tried to read the Bible um, against its grain or read it in bits and pieces, and therefore you, mis you misunderstand both. So, yeah, I just, I just invite people, just read it again. Like, just go back again and see if you don't actually try harder that you'll come up with something different. Yeah. Yeah. Let me throw out two two case examples to see if we sure. can work through them. Sure. First is kind of the law. Because mm -hmm. um, oftentimes you'll see this on a popular level. People that maybe don't, uh, maybe don't know a lot about theology, they'll say, well, yeah. whatever stance Christians take out of the Old Testament, out of the Ten Commandments is irrelevant because they eat pork. They're just a bunch yeah. of hypocrites anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so the role of the laws in the narrative, yeah. they're, they're given in a narrative setting. All the laws are given to the ancient Israelites after they're freed from slavery in Egypt in the, in the wilderness. Um, so they're given all those laws. And it's, it's big, there's hundreds, many hundreds, huge section mm -hmm. of those early books of the Bible. However, they're preceded by a narrative. The laws are given in chunks in a narrative context. Um, and there's a long narrative after them. And the whole narrative after, the whole premise of the laws is, hey, Israelites, God just rescued you. That's really nice of him, isn't it? <laughs> he didn't have to do that, but he did. So my goodness, like, honor this God. Be faithful to him. He rescued you. Yeah. And here's how you can do it. And then the majority of the rest of the Old, Te Old Testament narrative goes on to show you in detail, in bloody detail, yeah. how they don't, how they're completely unfaithful, and how they destroy themselves and other people in the process of not following the laws, mm -hmm. and it lands them uh, in destruction and exile. Now you tell me, if I tell you a story about little Jimmy and how he's constantly trying to steal from the cookie jar, and so his mom writes a long list of rules and puts them up on like the bulletin board, mm -hmm. right? And then I tell you a tragic story about how he goes through and breaks every single one of those rules, and he ends up dropping the cookie jar, and it slices his hand open, and he has to go to the hospital, and he get staph infection. And, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Is this a story that's trying to promote that list of rules 
on the bulletin board. Or reveal a complete incompetency to, yeah. there's something broken. It's different. So yeah. the laws are one part of a larger story. They play a role in the story. But the yeah. point of the story isn't, hey, you reader, follow all of these laws. The laws reveal something yeah. about the character of the one giving them. But they also reveal something about the humans yeah. in the story. The heart condition of the humans. That's yeah. right. And you finish the story going, oh, man, humans are screwed up. Yeah. We, we, don't need, we don't need to follow the law. We need a better heart. We need someone to fix us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So, again, it's just an example of a shallow reading, uh, assuming the Bible is a golden tablet book fallen from heaven with yeah. God giving me rules. Yeah. Then, okay, then you're going to read the rules that way. But when you read it on its own terms, you see the rules fit into a bigger picture. Are you just picking and choosing at that point? Which of, so you take like the Ten Commandments, uh, don't lie, don't commit adultery mm. kind of stuff. Mm. And we should, we would still say yes. Oh, God, don't, God, God. don't do that. Well, you know, we're not the first ones to struggle with this. Um, the, the first followers of Jesus worked through all of this. And that's part of, seriously, one of the biggest things being worked out yeah. in the, in yeah, by the right. apostles. That's right. Enough with the circumcision already. Yeah, Can we have totally. another discussion? About yeah, that's right. Else? Yeah, God yeah. chose to work through one ethnic family yeah. to accomplish his key purposes in the world. But the story was always meant to broaden out to the rest of the human family. And so the story of Jesus is the moment where that happens. And so what the apostles are working out is, what do we do now with this very specific cultural identity God wanted this yeah. family to have yeah. for a p period of time, but that now we're moving into a new section of the story. And so that's what they're working out. Yeah. And um, circumcision, kosher stuff. And so, yes, it's not a divine rule book dropped from heaven. Yeah. <laughs> it's a narrative with narrative progression. Yeah. And so you have to recognize what moment you're at in the story. Yeah. To, to make sense of the things that come at that part yeah. of the story. Yeah, and to be able yeah. to look back and see how a previous moment of the story may or may not apply yeah, that's right. to your current part. Co that, correct, mm -hmm. yeah. That's right. I'm not an ancient Israelite at the foot of Mount Sinai. Right. I am a follower of Jesus uh, on the other side of the planet. Right. Um, and so I, f I fit in, I'm located in that part of the story. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Uh, hopefully that was helpful. It's a really, that's a really difficult subject for a lot of people. Yes. Um, how about, uh, is there, this was a really fun question that God asked. Are there any assumptions that you hear like mm. that about maybe a verse or an idea from the Bible, just mm. something that is really common, commonly quoted or mm. assumed about the Bible that's just completely false? Mm. Well, um, one, uh, a deep one we just talked about, the golden tablets, golden the divine tablet, rule book yep. falling from heaven. Um, another one, actually, we already talked about, but I keep seeing it coming up and needing to address it. Um, it's a, a deep level assumption uh, that probably has so many factors in history going into it. I don't fully know what all those are. I just am living in the fruit of it. It's an it's a inability to hold together in our brains the fact that if God is involved, if I say that God did something, what it means is that humans weren't involved mm. or that human agency was minimal. Mm. Um, and this comes through usually in conversations about the Bible. Namely, if the Bible is a divine word, mm -hmm. then it has to have come into existence with minimal human agency or none, mm -hmm. divine rule book falling from heaven. Um, and so 
and therefore the human origins of the Bible are now going to be a scandal to your yeah. faith. Yeah. Um, but underneath that's a deeper assumption that's not just about the Bible, it's about everything. About my view of God and what kind of universe I'm living in and how God relates to it. That the, the biblical storyline works according to a logic where God's will is carried out in the world through humans. That's the premise of page one, God appointing yeah. physical representatives in the world. It's the whole logic of the Christian belief in the incarnation. Yeah. Um, that God became the human who will live according to uh, God's will to open up that humanity to the rest of us. Yeah. So we can become that. The theology of the Holy Spirit is precisely about God's presence and power and initiative working in partnership with humans. Yeah. And you can get out of step with the Spirit, mm -hmm. right? You can quench it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you are an instrument of the Spirit, you're not less yourself. Yeah, right. right. Whatever Paul's getting at there when he says, um, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, because both the willingness to do it and the working is from God. Yeah. So Paul, or Paul can look back on a really fruitful season of ministry and be like, yeah, I worked harder than the other apostles at that period. Well, actually, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God working in me. Yeah. And not, they're not either ors yes, for him. Right. They're fully integrated. Yeah. And so that's um, somehow our culture has trained us to think that if I'm doing it, God's not involved. Yeah. If I want it, yeah. God doesn't want right. it. Right. If God did it, then it means I didn't do it. And those are just false dichotomies that I don't think the, the apostles would or Jesus would recognize. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, like I have any authority to speak compared to you, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just agree with you. Yeah. Uh, can you think of a can you think of a passage or a verse that is one of just the greatest uh, criminals in terms of how, how badly it's been butchered throughout oh. the years? Oh man. I mean, some are silly. Um, my wife really likes buying Ezekiel bread from the grocery <laughs> store. <laughs> and it's from a Ezekiel chapter four, yeah. the bread that he makes. Yeah. Ezekiel makes his yep. bread. Mm -hmm. And um, he makes it as a symbol of like the meager, low quality bread that people will have to eat in when they're being besieged by the Babylonians. And somebody has just plucked that right out of context and seen it as a divine recipe. Oh, yeah. That's just for making bread. Spiritual and then bread. It's, and then it's like Bible <laughs> bread. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's, are things like that. Um, I'm bad with off the top of my head. Yeah, but you would pull something out of like, Ezekiel, though. That's pretty oh, impressive. Okay. All right. Well, I'll take it. Okay. Deal. Yeah. yeah. There are more important ones, but th that's a recent one. Yeah. Well, how about this one? This should be a little bit easier. But what's your favorite Old Testament example? Of something that really points to Jesus, puts all lights on the dashboard, mm. blinking, you know, mm. Yeshua. Uh, well, right now I'm working on uh, a, a project f uh, for a video we're going to make about the Son of Man. Oh, Daniel? Theme throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, but it's the whole Bible. Okay. Um, it's really one of these biblical themes that starts on page one and yeah. works all the way to the end. It begins with a curious fact, namely that um, uh, Jesus... Uh, never called himself king or messiah. Mm. He was called messiah by others on a handful of occasions. Only once does he accept it. 
by somebody who misunderstood what it means. Yeah, but Peter. by Peter, yeah, <laughs> yeah totally. you are the Messiah, son yeah. of the living God. And, and all the other times he hedges, the only title that Jesus used consistently to refer to himself is Son of Man, the Son of Humanity, the Son, yeah, of, sure. the son of Humanity. Yeah, people um, don't understand that phrase a lot of times. It's a it weird. Means, it's a weird phrase. Yeah, it um, it comes from it, it's a biblical phrase that he's capturing a whole bunch of streams of Old Testament thought that come together in Daniel chapter seven. Yeah which I already knew and I'm discovering in new ways is, is the most, it's like one of the most important texts mm. in the Hebrew Bible for understanding how Jesus thought about himself and what he was doing. But Daniel 7 itself is um, like uh, a huge, it's like the Columbia River that is the border between Oregon and Washington yeah. that is itself the result of all these other powerful rivers uh. coming together. And so reading Daniel 7 is like reading the whole story of the Old Testament in short form. Ooh. It begins with the dark, chaotic waters mm. of Genesis 1. Yeah, tohu vavohu. Yeah, and then um, instead of humans coming out to rule, right, and oh. steward the world on yeah. God's behalf, it's terrible beasts oh, yeah. that come out of the water, and they are ruling the humans. Instead of humans ruling the beasts, as on page 1, it's the beasts trampling humans. Wow. And so the whole story is about how God's going to allow the Son of Man to be trampled by the beast and then exalt the Son of Man over the beast after being trampled. Wow. Daniel 7. Wow. Holy cow. <laughs> so <laughs> Daniel 7 is unbelievable. So anyway, the Son of Man right now is electric, and it's so, it's so cool. There's so much going on there. Yeah. Yeah. And that Jesus, like himself, I mean, that's such a huge cue, right? When he's yeah. like, that's his self-reference, totally. you know, because he could have used Messiah. Like, he, that's not like that's not there. Totally. It's, yeah, it's the only title <laughs> he uses to refer to himself. I and he does it. That. And he does it many times throughout yeah. all of the four Gospels. I've always, I've always said, like, you know, what's the most popular yeah. way that Jesus referred to himself out? But yeah. I didn't realize it was exclusive. Yeah. Of how referring to himself anyway. That's right. Yeah. The exclusive. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, there's there's a lot more to that, but I'm super amped up about the Son of Man right now. Yeah, yeah, fun stuff. Yeah. So for someone that is, they're not going to go to seminary, or at least not in the near future. Mm -hmm. um, but they are finding finding like a fire get lit. They're watching a few Bible Project videos, yeah, and like they are starting to become their own little Bible nerd in training, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. Where is a good place that you would point people to? Just a real good starting point to mm. begin studying mm. on their own mm -hmm. or, or deepening their understanding? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, well, I mean, the, the videos we're making are... That, that is its own are, great are, starting yeah, point. Yeah, you know, and so I guess beyond the videos themselves. Beyond the videos, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, uh, uh, getting, some, getting some study tools are, uh, I think, an important investment. And so... Um, I think investing in a Bible dictionary. Okay. Um, and so there's great, almost, you know, it's, it's America. It is. <laughs> uh, and I know not all of your audiences in America, but I know a lot of them are. So, um, uh, so, but yes, every major Christian publisher has its own Bible, Di dictionary, Bible dictionary. You know yeah. what I mean? So just get one. Okay. Um, getting, um, Again, same thing for the New American Standard or the New International Version or the English Standard Version. Yep. They all have high-powered study Bibles with yep. maps, charts, yeah. commentary that, notes. All I always stuff. recommend that as probably the best place to. Oh yeah, get so so 
which is built-in re resources. Um, and then, um, I, for me, one of my first guides was a one-volume Bible commentary. Mm -hmm. So it was just 30 or so pages on every book of the Bible, mm. just high-level overviews, but enough that it can... Is that um, sale hammers? Is that what you're So they're to? sale hammers. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's right. And so it's just called the NIV Compact Bible Commentary. There you by go. John Sale Hammer. I'll link all this stuff up in the show notes yeah. if you're if you're curious, by the way. And then the um, the next level, like the on the beefed up version mm -hmm. of the one vol one volume Bible commentary, is like a thousand page version. Mm -hmm. But it's like a meaty commentary, but on every book of the Bible, all in between two covers, and it's called the New Century. Bible. Uh, you're peeking at your computer. That yeah. might be cheating, man. Well, I actually just discovered it in recent years and have been recommending it. And I can you edit out these pauses? I'm oh, sure you can. I think it's just building the suspense. So <laughs> <laughs> it's all it's all usable. Uh, new. Uh, gosh. Here, I'm gonna look at my syllabus. Yeah, I'll edit out the. Okay, yeah, good. The All right, so okay. You're good. You're taking the pressure yeah. off. Because um, I did. I just uh, assigned it in my last round of Western classes. Okay. It's so good. Sorry, but it's really good. I'm like. Yeah, no, it's all good. Excited to recommend it. Uh, oh, <laughs> it's called the New Bible Commentary. The new Bible commentary. <laughs> yeah, new Bible commentary. All right. There Out with is. the old. And yeah, the let me click the hyperlink just to be sure. New Bible commentary. Yeah, that's what it's called. New Bible commentary, edited by Gordon Wenham. There's dozens and dozens of yes. biblical scholars that uh, wrote different. But it's just great because it's, it's pretty detailed, mm -hmm. and they anticipate what's going to trip you up. Uh, and then, that's really And helpful. then offer... Uh, really in-depth explanation. I have that problem it. with a lot of commentaries is they yeah. they go off on questions that I am not asking, you right. know, or that no one in their right mind is yeah, asking, but right. only they in their that's little right. academic world might ever that's ask. That's right. Yeah. So the New Bible Commentary um, is a great resource. I found that anticipates what's going to bother you and then spends time there. Okay. So, awesome. Very yeah. cool. Um, that's super helpful. Tim, I got I got one last question for you, if you, if you can handle it. Sure. Are you good? I think. <laughs> um, if you get on the internet and get a million subscribers on YouTube and you get as much exposure as you have, yeah. uh, you've been re received with so much love and, you know, just gratitude and people really soaking it up. I got to imagine there's, there's always that minority sliver of pushback. Mm. Um, I'm guess where, where do you sense the most pushback coming mm. from? Is it like, uh, like, in, and, in, and in what ways, I mean, have, have mm. there been pushback that have helped? helped you refine kind of what you're thinking or maybe how you're communicating or presenting things hmm. or is it just kind of like shake the haters off you know what i mean like mm. you just kind of have to just know that there's some element of crazy out there in the world and you you know got to mm -hmm. just tune to i'm just curious about that you know mm -hmm. you get to this you get to the level that you're at mm -hmm. and uh not all the voices are positive ones yeah i i quit reading the youtube comment oh my feeds a long time ago yeah all actually all the social media i don't look at any of it yeah <laughs> Smart. We have other people on our team who like monitor and do all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I just found it wasn't helpful oh for, my gosh. for me. Yeah. Um, 
Just so, trolls everywhere. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, anonymity. Yeah, it's not a good thing for human <laughs> beings. <laughs> so, um, so, however, yeah, other feedback makes it our way. Um, you know, the most consistent types of feedback that are questioning or challenging are the same types of things I encounter in classroom settings okay. too, though. Yeah. So you're used so, to them. So for me, it's like, oh yeah, that's totally the question I expect. Wonderful. I'm so glad that you're being challenged to ask that. Yeah. So it's the things that I expect. And yeah. there was the thing, a lot of things that we're talking about. Yeah. Many people, uh, a phrase I often use because I'm trying to highlight the human divine partnership is what the author is trying to do here. Or you can see this theme highlighted by the author. Mm -hmm. So I talk a lot about the biblical authors and what they're meaning to communicate. That's a totally new category for people who have the golden tablets. It's just God's word. Heaven. It's just it's God. God said. Yeah. And so uh, the fact that I highlight so much of the literary design and art intentionality and s strategic developing of themes and ideas, that, um, that language alerts people. Um, and based on the categories that they have, some people it ignites their liberal agenda alert. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so that's fine. That's okay. I don't have a problem with that. Um, I'm excited that they're being forced to ask some questions yeah. that'll uh, get them to think a little deeper. Um, so, yeah, uh, to be honest, w we haven't had um, any like feedback crises or oh, something yeah. goes out and it just hasn't. It hasn't happened. Um, it might happen, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure, people make negative comments, but it's the internet. I mean, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing, no, nothing substantive um, that I haven't already encountered in local church or classroom settings. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Well, I'm glad that that's yeah. that that's the case. Yeah, me too. Tim, <laughs> this has been this has been a blast. I can't thank you enough. Yeah, absolutely. I enjoyed this and, a lot. And getting geeked out a little bit on the Bible. Totally. Yeah. All right. Very cool. Yeah. Cheers.